Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio, entitled uh, This Time It's Theatre. It's episode 1413 and our podcast title is We're in the Pod, 5 by 5 I'm Jan Solo today as Megan McHugh is leading an away team, but we're not entirely co-pilotless as I've got some guests today chatting about their Melbourne Fringe production, more of which after this introductory track, which is Combat Drop from the late James Horner's Aliens soundtrack, the deluxe edition, of course, for Zero G. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok from Deep Space Nine, and this is Zero G on 3 R FM. Today is a good day to listen. Yeah, express elevator to hell going down. You have just heard Combat Drop from the late James Horner's Alien soundtrack. Now, you've seen Hamlet, Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet done in a myriad of ways, <laughs> but there is only one version of James Cameron's Aliens. <laughs> Reads the blurb for the Melbourne Fringe production, which is coming up in October, of Shakespeare Aliens. It's by Keith Gow and Rob Lloyd. So today in the studio, we have Rob Lloyd, well known on Zero G for his one-man Whovian theatre show, Who Me?, and for his part in the ongoing genre mashup that is the Innes Lloyd duo. He is the top kick or the master sergeant of Shakespeare Aliens. And we also have Cassandra Hart, Melbourne-based actress, who plays Ellen Ripley. And prior to this role, she has had some thematic resonance with space and military in that she had a brush with the military in The Major and the Matron in 1914 in the 1019 Fringe and a slingshot around space travel with the Apollo lunar landing related moonshot. She did a virtual reading of that with the Antipodes Theatre Company. So welcome aboard, Rob and Cassandra. So before we begin, does anyone want to get out? (laughs) (laughs) That was a choice. (laughs) (laughs) You're shanghaied aboard. You are not short. You are in the Colonial Marines here today. It's a pleasure to see you, Rob Jan, and you are absolutely badass. Please give us the coordinates of the landing zone for the production, the dates and the places in the festival. We are presenting Shakespeare Aliens at Gasworks Theatre in Albert Park. Albert Park. And we open on Tuesday, the 11th of October, and run to Saturday, the 15th of October. And we're on 9 p.m. every night. And we're bringing this show back to Melbourne Fringe after presenting it in January as a part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Now, Aliens is a 1986 science fiction action film written and directed by James Cameron. And it is the sequel to the 79 film Alien 
by Sir Ridley Scott, and it is the second film in the Alien franchise. And Shakespeare was released in 1564. (laughs) He wrote 39 plays, 154 sonnets, and three long narrative poems, some of which were sequels. So in terms of appearing in more than one work, you could say that Henry V or Falstaff would be his Ripley's. Now, Shakespeare has had genre adaptations before, science fiction film called Forbidden Planet, which we all know and love, based on The Tempest, and the 1997 Tromeo and Juliet. Now, Aliens has had several odd adaptations as well. There's a 1989 Italian film called Shocking Dark. (laughs) And that's kind of set in a Shakespearean location in Venice in the future, although they actually released it as Terminator 1. Has your production got anything to do with Hardly Working's production of Shakespeare's Aliens performed at the Orlando Fringe last night? (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd hunt that down. I knew you're a research uh, bloodhound and you find it all out. I've worked with uh, those guys before. Well, I've known of them when I headed to Orlando for their Fringe Festival back in 2017 when I toured Who Me to America. Yeah. That company have put on a series of shows of sort of like pop culture films and Shakespeare mashups. And so they'd previously done um, Shakespeare Ghostbusters, Shakespeare Reservoir Dogs to much critical acclaim. And they were thinking of their latest production and they actually reached out to me to have a look at the script that Keith had written and that I had come up with. And uh, they decided to just go their own way and create their own version of it. So, yeah, they did reach out to to us first. We started the process uh, in 2019. Keith and I met up when I first pitched the idea to him through much delays because of that, you know, that little pandemic thing. We didn't premiere until January this year. They started their process of writing and developing the show late 2021 and they went up earlier this year. So, yes, they reached out to us. (laughs) Not to be competitive all in the arts, but we got there first. (laughs) So you'll be there basically with a whole class action suit. Oh, look, yeah, yeah. (laughs) If if it ever happens, we'll just be the little ants and then, of course, the looming big presence of Disney will just be standing over them going, "Um, do you really want to do this? Oh, my God, it is Disney, isn't it? I was just thinking of that. It's all Disney now. Yep, oh. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Ripley is now a, a Disney princess. Boot and. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've actually got a wicked queen in this movie, so, you know. <laughs> we do, we do. She really do. She's just doing what she does, I reckon. Now, Cassandra, when did you come on board the production? I joined in May of last year. Yeah, I answered Rob's casting call, did an audition, and it was a very quick process between audition and then starting rehearsals about seven days later. Yeah, Um, we we lost our original Ripley, and so we needed to find a replacement a quick smart, and Cass just blew us away with her audition tape. There was no other person who could have played Ripley. Well, you could have just cloned her. (laughs) Well, that's true, and she would have been a mad basketballer as well. And, I mean, very disappointed Sigourney wasn't available. Did reach out. Yeah. Cassandra, they put the crew of the original Aliens film through a a military boot camp. (laughs) Did you have to do anything along those lines to get into the character? No. Well, I mean, I I do train at the gym quite excessively, so, you know, I think my personal trainer would, uh, you know, have some sort of claim over any strength that I may or may not use during the show. But, uh, yeah, no, nothing so rigorous as a a military boot camp, thank God. Don't give him ideas. (laughs) Writing down notes, Rob, thank you so much. This is good to know. 
Actually, I think in my deep nerdiness, I remember that they didn't actually put Sigourney Weaver through the same training as the rest of them because they wanted her as a kind of an outsider. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we'll dip once more into the deluxe edition of the Aliens soundtrack. And this is by James Horner, and it is Queen to Bishop. Hi, this is Fraser Hines. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Look at the size of that thing, Doctor. Yeah, yes, Jamie, that is a big one. Queen to Bishop from James Horner's Aliens soundtrack. Back talking to Rob Lloyd and Cassandra Hart, who are behind the production. And indeed, within it, Shakespeare Aliens from the Melbourne Fringe Festival. With the production of... What's the original concept idea? What hugged you in the face and said, go there? <laughs> How did they impregnate the idea inside my stomach or my chest? Just with my background with improvisation and sketch comedy and the comedy shows that I've done through most of my, in, in inverted commas, career have been very much within you know, the pop culture world and within the type of sketches and performances I've put on with through improvisation have been that sort of like mashup and blending. I've always been fascinated by taking concepts and ideas from things that we love and see where the similarities are because, you know, there's only ever, you know, seven stories or there's only ever one hero's journey and every story adapts from that. So it's interesting to find things that seem so diametrically opposed or so opposite can actually have things that are very similar and connected with it. So the more I thought about how similar the concepts that you explore within historical Shakespeare plays actually similar to, to the grand themes and ideas found in the 1986 sci-fi sequel. So that type of stuff fascinates me, the things that connect them as opposed to, you know, the original idea that you try and get people in on is going, Alien and Shakespeare, what? But when you actually sit and think about it, it, it makes perfect sense. So whenever people go, Shakespeare, alien, why? You can give the easy response, why not? So, <laughs> And that's always fascinating for me to look into the things that connect as opposed to the things that oppose. As Ripley once said, to burn or not to burn, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> is it aliens with Shakespeare or Shakespeare with aliens? Or as Star-Lord once said, a bit of both. A bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great balancing act that we had to work out while developing the script. I took the idea to Keith and he was fascinated by it. I've worked with Keith before on uh, Who You're Supposed to Be, which we spoke about back in 2014. And the script went through about uh, four or five drafts. We had a couple of Zoom conference read-throughs during second round of lockdowns to really knuckle down the concept, the script, the voice of it, really finding that balance of iambic pentameter, rhyming couplets, uh, free verse, direct references, how many callbacks or callouts you can do to find that perfect balance of the script. So, And I think we found something that's a, a really nice balance. Keith's written a really clever script. Yeah, it's great to get up and uh, do it again. Hey, this is Craig Charles, Dave Listed off Red Dwarf. You're listening to Space Core Directive 3 Triple R FM. So smeg and get on with it. Forbidden Planet's main Shakespearean fluence is The Tempest. Is there a particular play being face-hugged by your production or is it more of a holistic pastiche? Of the main focus for me was I was like drawing references with like Henry V, really, that essence of a war play or a war film <laughs> and that prologue about sort of like imagine when we talk about 
you know, the lofty battlefields of France, you actually see them. And when we talk about horses and all that type of stuff, that prologue within Henry V is very good about you, how your imaginary forces work to create all this type of thing. And so like almost telling the audience, look, we're going to present to you a big show, but we're not going to be able to do it on stage. So just use your imagination. And that was a great lead in for this going, well, awesome. That means, you know, I don't have the budget of a James Cameron from the 1980s. I don't even have a budget of James Cameron when he was working on Piranha 2. <laughs> but that idea, that heroic stance of how calling his troops back in to, to go to war really resonated with the images of sort of like, you know, Ripley going once more into the to the bridge to save Newt. Those type of things really drew on. And there's also parallels with uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and elements from Hamlet about, you know, dream and waking life is a big part of Aliens as well. And sort of like, and the connection Ripley has with Newt and how they don't sleep and they always have nightmares and these this shared trauma that connects this couple together to survive it is very important. And the ending is a very happy and hopeful one. And so that's why, you know, we stopped just at uh, Aliens. There's no other films after that. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a two-film franchise. That's all it is. Like the Speed franchise, there's only two of them. So, yes, we followed the direct storyline of Aliens, but we've infused those elements of Shakespearean tales that connected directly to our piece. Now, Rob, you must have worked with Shakespeare before, not in person, but... <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, my work with Doctor Who has uh, given me some certain privileges the BBC haven't let out yet, so it's just between you and me. Yes, I have travelled back in time, and Will is... Uh, it's always hard to get him to focus. He's always... Oh, oh sorry, I've, I've said too much. Yeah, give away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, next you'll have me talking about undead Shakespeare because of <laughs> this well, is they did Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, so they could yes. do you know Romeo and Juliet and the, and The Walking Dead. The Z in zero G does stand for zombie. Now, <laughs> Cassandra, have you worked with Shakespearean elements before? Yeah, not not it to a huge extent. I've done sort of throughout my training and everything. I, I did a lot of work on Shakespeare and, you know, just kind of unpacking monologues from certain plays uh, with Tony Knight, the former head of NIDA. So I've done a lot of, I guess, kind of theory work beside it and workshop work, but nothing uh, so much as putting a production on stage. So, yeah, Shakespeare Aliens is definitely my first real go at kind of getting in and breaking it all down. But yeah, it's thoroughly enjoyable, even if it's not completely traditional Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, like, you know, 20 years down the track or something, you're being interviewed and the interviewer goes, well, you know, what was your introduction to Shakespeare? And Cassandra <laughs> goes, well. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of mashups, Aaron Fraser Nash has been doing some neat mashup songs. She-Hulk sings a song, Darth Vader sings a song, well, you get the picture. And he's done a song called Alien from his album, The 2020 Nightmare, more riffing off Ridley Scott's seminal first movie in the Chies. In this song, Alien. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero-G. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Aaron Fraser Nash, a Nash-up from the album The 2020 Nightmare, and the song was called Alien. All right, we are back talking with Cassandra Hart and Rob Lloyd from the production of Shakespeare Alien, which is a Melbourne Fringe Festival production. Can we have the dates again, please, folks? Yes, Tuesday the 11th of October to Saturday the 15th of October at Gasworks Theatre. Mm. Ooh, better be careful with the flamethrower. 
Oh, <laughs> they can only use uh, no rounds, only flame units. Yeah, so, only flame yeah. units. <laughs> Even though the armor pierces, you know, it's armor piercing bullets. Now, Cassandra, we've seen Sigourney Weaver's iconic Ripley. What's your take on Warrant Officer Ripley? Um, she oh, she is such an incredible woman. It was very hard for me to discover her, and it's been complete kind of working process the in, the entire time and I still discover new things about her every time we're in rehe- the rehearsal room. Sigourney's Ripley is incredibly strong and film mine is but perhaps in I don't know a softer way. She's all heart. She wears everything on her sleeve. She's so open and feels everything and so it, it baffles me how she manages to keep everyone and everything together through, you know, through to the end. And, you know, I think the big strength of hers is that she puts everyone ahead of herself. So, you know, Newt gives her purpose, you know, you having recently found out about the death of her daughter, which you see in the director's cut. And so I think, you know, returning to LV426 and finding Newt, it kind of gives her purpose for life again and I think that's what the driving force of Ripley and my Ripley is throughout the play is you know finding that that way of overcoming her fear and and her I guess want to stay away from things that she knows they're not going to end well but you know she finds uh, strength in you she finds strength in Hicks and that is like they are her driving forces and for me my Ripley is strength in kindness Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. when we were doing our research for this and we rewatched uh, the film and talking it through with Cass and all the cast looking at their characters and what elements they wanted to, to take as sort of like a, a tip of the hat to the original but also bring themselves is a lot of people have a, and to quote John Nathan Turner about Doctor Who, the memory cheats and a lot of people just perceive Ripley from the iconic photos of her carrying a big gun so that she's just this, you know, 1980s sort of like almost Rambo-esque character. But watching the film, it's an incredible experience of seeing a character dealing with trauma and post-traumatic stress and being put into a situation where they have, you know, no military training, no weapons training or anything like that, and they just have to do what they can to survive. And uh, Sigourney had that wonderful balance of grit and determination, but fear as well. There's a great deal of fear in her performance and overcoming that. So um, that was something I really wanted to to draw upon, and Cass was very excited to explore the elements of you know that it's not just a one dimensional sort of like action hero. There's so many layers to to Ripley that we wanted to to explore. And that's the great thing about a Shakespearean uh, flair to it uh, because, you know, the soliloquy, the monologue in the movies, uh, Sigourney does it all with, uh, with a look or, you know, uh, or a cigarette that's been left to just draw out or, you know, how she insults a cat. Whereas uh, with <laughs> using more flourishing uh, Shakespearean style dialogue, you can really get inside the mind of, of Ripley in our version. I'm not saying we're the definitive version, Rob. <laughs> I'm not saying we're definitive at all. But, yeah, that, that way of how, you know, Ripley is a character and a human, and we wanted to explore that on a stage version with with a flair of the verbal as opposed to using camera shots and angles. 
Well, Weaver pushed back against the whole uh, gun-toting Ripley image in the third movie by insisting that there would be no guns in it, stripping away the whole armoury sort of thing. From and that's one of the great things about Alien 3, no matter how much it almost destroyed David Fincher. Um, <laughs> well, none of us will forgive them for killing Newt and Hicks off screen. You know, I mean, that was just such a, a waste of material. Never happened, Rob. Never yeah. happened. This is, this is two why film. we stop at Aliens. Two-film yeah. franchise. <laughs> it's a two-film franchise. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace. Over, done with, gone. He's a sick man. This is where sick people come. Zero G is fun, as you were. Now, look, the film is about motherhood and it's queen versus queen. You know, that's the way I looked at it when I saw it. It's a strong, strong story. Cassandra, what do you, what do you think about that? Oh, I think it, it, de- it definitely leads back to what we were talking about before and, like, you know, my Ripley, it's like human connection is the most important thing and that's what Ripley finds. You know, and she finds that in in that mother role she plays to Newt once once they're connected, and I think she and the alien queen they have that understanding. You know, it's it's mother facing off against mother, a mother protecting her child versus a very very big mother protecting all of her unborn children, and that's why I think you know uh, Ripley. Going out on a limb here, but I, w- I would say that Ripley and my Ripley, at least, you know, has that that ability and that that within her that she probably sympathises with the Queen before that final battle. But basically, it comes down to someone's going to die, and it's either Ripley and Newt, or Ripley goes all out, flamethrower blazing, and and protects her own, uh, just like the Queen's trying to do, and. And it's really nice to hear that that's what you get out of it uh, because, like you said, you know, so many people look at it and go, oh, this is just a real great action movie. Ripley's hardcore, but she's really not. <laughs> <laughs> she has those elements and she will do what she needs to do to protect her own, but at, at the core of it she's a human with human connection and that's, you know, that's, that's what life is. It's one, yeah, it's one of the biggest disappointments that they couldn't keep it in. The, the there's, you know, the there's two famous cuts of Aliens. There's the theatrical cut and the special edition. And in the special edition, there's the iconic scene on on the the recovery station where it is revealed that you know Ripley, who has been in hibernation for you know fifty three years, has fifty seven years, years has um has <laughs> lost her daughter. Her daughter yeah. is you know. Died of cancer. Yeah, grown old and and passed in the time that she's been floating around in stasis in space. So, you know, she's lost her entire, her whole world. She's lost her her job, her friends, and most important of all, her her daughter. And so there's all this factor drawing into it. It's It's that motherhood connection that is there in a sense in the film you just sort of like it's a, a makeshift family but there's a deeper resonance for it in that special edition so we brought those elements in to this version to really lay home how much um the motherhood theme is a part of it a lot of people going you know oh this is all woke you're making you know you know things woke and all this type of stuff no it's always been there in in classic in really good storytelling, it's mm. it's timeless, and all those themes can be done in a way that, and because it is such a incredibly well made film, uh, those themes are there. They just don't smack you across the face like a lot of 
uh, more modern interpretations do it in a clumsy way. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I don't have much time for the the deliberately asleep out there, but <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like when they say, oh, Doctor Who has become woke or Star Trek. I mean, did you ever watch those shows? Did you ever see the Terence Dix and Barry Letts era? That is just filled with political comments and the environment yeah. and all those type of issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's always there, baby. We could have used these gatekeepers in another context, like, you know, at uh, where were they at Helm's Deep? All these... <laughs> Give me that extra company of elf archers that Peter Jackson introduced any day of the week. Exactly, exactly. Let's have another classic track from James Horner's score for Aliens. And this is The Queen. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy, and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities, zero-G, and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio, and it aims to misbehave. There's no place I can be since I found serenity. Now, you know, I was just thinking, God bless the Queen, the xenomorph, the, the magnificent creation of the Stan Winston uh, workshops back in the day it's just a, a special love of mine that that critter i once built a large scale skull to use as a trophy shield with my predator costume just oh, because, of course you did just because i did so look i remember when um, uh, maestro winston and his crew were working on aliens they did a proof of concept alien queen mocked up out of garbage bags that's right several, and several puppeteers strapped together which seems to be something in the spirit of your xenomorph creation oh look we're what I love, one of my huge influences, if you dare me to go a little bit deep cut theatrical, I'm, I'm one of my favorite styles of theater is poor theater, uh, developed by uh, Jersey Grotowski. And so that's like what you create with who you have really minimal setting and staging and really using the, the talent of the actors to stand forth. And so when developing this concept, um, I really leaned into that whole concept of I don't have the money and like the, the money to create these big things, but I do have talented people around and I'm very fortunate enough to have worked before with uh, Donna Prince, who's an incredible teacher, uh, educator, performer, and um, designer. We started the concepts, uh, concept art in, in 2019 as well and started talking about it and coming up with the ideas of how we can create these iconic creatures live on stage. So going through from the chest burster to the face hugger to the xenomorph warriors to the or drones to the actual alien queen. And so finding that really stripped back process but of how to puppeteer them but also iconically represent them has been an incredible experience and Donna has just done an amazing job. And so creating uh, the physicality and the movement with the puppeteers has been a really fun process and getting in some really experienced puppeteers who know how to move their body and how to collaborate with each other. And what we've done is has been a really fun process and how we've created the individual movements for, for, the, for each of the alien like levels of development. And then how we've created this alien queen, like with the original, with multiple puppeteers working together in sync 
yeah, it was, it's, it's fun. It's just like, you know, I'm a big kid in, uh, in a sandpit and that sandpit is just filled with, uh, xenomorphs and, um, and Muppet characters. <laughs> Well, for you, Cassandra, it must have been interesting. I mean, this is no uh, CGI green or blue screen where you're acting to a, a tennis ball on a stick. You've actually got a, a, a thing in front of you, and I literally do mean a thing. So how did, how did you play that? Like we were saying, the, the puppeteers do such an incredible job of puppeteering not only the, the xenomorph um, warriors themselves, but then when they come together to, to form the queen, it you know, you you don't see the puppeteers that are within it. You know, when I'm facing off against that queen, she is all I see. And it's, you know, this, you know, she's quite large compared to me. I'm very small in stature. Um, so it actually, you know, gives a lot to go off of when you have the music and the ambience going behind you and then this monstrous thing is, is coming at you. Like, it, you know, it is an absolute dream to, to play off against against that and it really helps you get you know in that that mindset that you know this is this is the final battle and you know this it's either gonna go one way or the other if if you don't bring it because both you and the queen have the same (laughs) motivation the human connection is everything (laughs) (laughs) you want to go deep inside yeah yeah. (laughs) leave a part of you It is such a twisted metaphor for birth, isn't it? When you think about it, that original that original uh, film, O'Bannon and all those guys writing that original script. It's just pure B grade schlock sci-fi for the you know the the fifty you know the fifties and sixties you know tacky sci-fi movies when American culture was all about the Western as opposed and sci-fi was just this dirty little thing on the side. And to bring that to the desk of Ridley Scott and goes, all right. And he just brought in some of the greatest actors of you know their time and the greatest set design, shooting schedule, lighting, all that type of stuff. It raised, elevated it to an A-grade level masterpiece. But it's just pure schlock. So when you go look at Prometheus and all the – that where he's trying to go all 2001 and all biblical and all thematic in that way, you just go, remember what the original concept was. It's alien sex. That's what it is. Okay. It's all very sexy and saucy and gross and, and schlocky. Just focus on that. We demand that you put science fiction back in the gutter where it belongs. Exactly. <laughs> and out of Ex- the schoolroom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Underestimate sci fi. So then, you know, the geniuses like Rod Serling can come in and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is me just slumming it in sci fi and then create some of the greatest. <laughs> analogies of of modern american culture with the twilight zone so it's it's all there hide it in the schlock in the gutter and then we can really attack them with what we're what sci-fi is really all about hi this is jeff wayne composer and producer of my musical version of hg wells's classic science fiction story the war of the worlds supporting the war on terror that's t-e-r-r-a on zero g on three triple oolah <laughs> FM. For years, actor David Tennant has traded upon his resemblance to Rob Lloyd. He has. He has. Thank you so much for calling it out. He does look like me. Gosh. Yeah. And do I get any of that back? No. But surely you can take advantage of all those signs that say tenant parking only. <laughs> 
<laughs> I look, I do what I can to survive, okay? <laughs> the lockdown changed us in a lot of ways, okay? I'm just saying I read through the cast list and the crew list of uh, Shakespeare Alien and I noticed that you had you were working with Davison. <laughs> yes, now Alex is one of our puppeteers. So, yes, and well, and to carry on with Doctor Who slash Alien, you know, in Alien 3, we had the great Paul McGann as uh. well. <laughs> much, uh, much edited out performance in Alien 3, but the original cut, he is in it quite a lot. So, I remember meeting Paul McGann and uh, chatting to him about it. And when I stopped losing, uh, you know, I had to focus in on his conversation because I've got a bit of a man crush. And when I say a bit, I mean, mm. a complete crush on him. Love talking about Alien 3 and his, you know, and how much the cast fell behind and supported David Fincher because they saw how badly he was being treated by the studio. So the cast loved David Fincher, even though the network didn't. So much like in Alien, how um, James Cameron didn't really endear himself to the crew. We interviewed Paul McGann at one stage, I remember, doing this before he got re-gigged as the Eighth Doctor. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just he was sort of like building up this momentum. He'd like done uh, The Three Musketeers, that, that early 90s film with like Kiva Sutherland and Charlie Sheen and all that type of stuff. And he'd done a, a fairy tale based on sort of like Arthur Conan Doyle believing that there were fairies and stuff like that. So he was building up this momentum in American cinema and American exposure. And so it was well on that way of – uh, the next inevitable step was to play the, you know, the dashing suave uh, Time Lord. Hello, this is Paul McGann. I play the eighth incarnation of the Doctor, and you are listening to Three Triple R FM. Look, we could go chasing through the ventilation ducts of our geekery forever. You know that, Rob. <laughs> I did want to ask Cassandra what your background in geekery is in science fiction and fantasy. I have tried suppressing my nerd for many, many years. So I've always I loved the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, I'd like, I preface this by saying that I'm nowhere near as much of a geek or a nerd as, as Rob. Uh, but, you know, I've Thank always you. loved. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 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 both Robs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always had a love of, uh, like, yeah, the science fiction, the classic science fiction. I remember, you know, watching all of the... Yeah, the really classic things with my dad growing up. So, you know, the 1950s War of the Worlds. Um, I remember my granddad popping the Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds musical version on his, his Walkman cassette tape and, you know, sitting in the lounge room and listening to that with him. And I still like thoroughly enjoy putting that on and listening to the glorious voice of Richard Burton now. But it's kind of only been in recent years, you know, particularly getting involved in this production. It's kind of gone, why are you trying to suppress her? Start collecting all of the things, you know. So my, my pop vinyl collection is slowly growing i have now got a replica sting uh from lord of the rings um sadly she doesn't flow like frodo's um it's, it's like it's very, very bad design element no that's a good thing that means there's no <laughs> goblins around no but you know it would look extremely pretty if it was blue in my head i read that as i now have a a pop vinyl sting from dune <laughs> <laughs> And it and it doesn't glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about mashups, so why not? <laughs> um, but no, to the point that when we were looking at costume for Ripley, and we started, you know, there's the iconic Rebox, and you know, there's the costume version you can buy on eBay, and I did, and I got them, and I put them on. Oh. And I'm like, no, nah, this won't do. 
So I hunted down uh, the the replica Reeboks that uh, that Ripley wore in Aliens, and I spent far too much money on them so I oh could have them God. as part of my costume. So I think we can say that I've gone fully <laughs> fledged nerd at this point. Yeah, yeah. Google gaggle one of us, one of us. One of us. <laughs> Hashtag one of us. <laughs> well, look, it, it's been charming talking to you both, uh, Cassandra All Heart who plays Erin Ripley in the production of Shakespeare Alien and Rob Lloyd, who has been the director and uh, one of the writers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I developed the concept and co. Um, Keith did all the writing, but also like uh, helped shape some of the the dialogue and the edits and stuff like that. But yeah, I went to him with the idea and the concept, and it's was some. This is the biggest production I've kind of put on outside of directing uh, school productions. So I wanted to be be behind the scenes to watch it all come together before uh, stepping out on front of the stage to do another Shakespearean uh, mashup, but that's for for another time. Mm, Where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this is for Shakespeare Alien. It's a Melbourne Fringe Festival show, and it is on at... Gasworks Theatre on the 11th of October to the 15th of October, 9pm. More information on the Gasworks website or at Melbourne Fringe website. Hmm. Thank you to you both. Now, that was outstanding. Now all we need is a deck of cards. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time, Rob. Always a pleasure. Game of over. Game of over. Triple R's annual Radiothon winds up this week and Zero-G would like to thank all the listeners who have subscribed and or donated. And or! (laughs) Didn't think I'd let a Star Wars reference slip by, did ya? As they say in the apocalyptic movies, there is still time to get yourself under the groove at rr.org.au. You know what? That's it for Zero-G for today. I'd like to thank our co-host Megan McHugh and our podcaster Alice Savage and also the Melbourne Fringe Festival, Rob Lloyd and Cassandra Hart from Shakespeare Aliens for coming in and geeking out today on Zero-G. Got to go out today with our weekly Bowie appropriately titled Loving the Alien from 1985, but this is the 1999 remastered version from an album called The Best of David Bowie, 1980-1987. Loving the Alien isn't actually about xenomorphs and ETs, although you can kind of blend that into the fact that it is about outsiders. It's actually more a diatribe against organised religion and its successes, and it's also intolerances. But there you go. It's got Alien in it, so it works for Zero-G. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero-G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero-G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.